The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. You realize by announcing on the last podcast that you're selling your car, <laughs> opened up a gigantic can of worms yes. for everybody listening. Yes, absolutely. I loved Jeff D's question on Facebook here. Okay. Who said he thinks you should write in to us yeah. and 200,000 of our closest car friends yeah. should suggest what you should do to b- replace the FRS. I saw that one and I also saw that I'm I, laughing that, that I should here. sit back and let you and Chance car debate for me. I also <laughs> yep. saw that one. And there was the other one in there somewhere that was like, isn't it a foregone conclusion? Isn't Todd just going to buy a Cayman? I saw that one too. <laughs> yes, I saw that one. I, uh, <laughs> oh man, this is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to debate for you at some point. But I, without ruining anything, without you know, suggesting anything going forward. <laughs> There's also been a question about, are we going to see a video with the Lotus driving on winter tires in the winter? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to spoil the fun. I'm not going to say anything. Well, but, but here's the we'll thing. We'll see. Here's we'll the see. thing. If I get a Lotus Elise, which we all know I would like to get, no one, no one listening is surprised <laughs> no by that one. sentence. If I get a Lotus Elise, come October, November, there's a question. And yeah. being the Lotus Elise yeah. freak that I am, I have at least done the research to find the people that have actually done winter driving in an Elise. There is also <laughs> the debate in my brain of should we go beater car to just, come on, let's not drive an Elise in the winter. Three but cars. Who knows? Hmm. Yeah, it's just madness. Well, and there was also the question of uh, shouldn't you just give me your uh, BMW M2 slot since you're keeping the I GTS? I liked that one too. That was great. You know what I didn't like about that one? The budget is what I didn't like about that one. That is that is almost twice as much car as I can afford. But well, uh, yeah. what I didn't like about the get a Cayman is that you'd have an all Porsche garage, yeah, and I'd have to go do something to rectify that. I mean, well, but, but but that comes come back on. to things we debate on the podcast and talk about first world problems. <laughs> totally. I don't think you should have two of the exact same car slash brand in your garage. Unless Granted, the Porsches, SUV and car, I, t- I kind of take it, but I just I can't. I don't think the show should have two long-term cars and you and I are both driving Caymans. As much as I love them, I don't think that makes sense either. stupid grins on our faces everywhere we go on camera. come on. Come on. Anyway. (laughs) Hi. Welcome to the podcast. We're talking Lotus this evening. Speaking of Lotus, actually. Yeah. There's a little bit of news this week. Everybody has asked this question, by the way. Which I love. Yeah. The majority of the questions are this. Revolving around Geely's acquisition, a majority ownership of Lotus, everybody. They are now owned by Lotus. Like I said, majority ownership. Yeah. So the same owners as Volvo. Mm-hmm. And now, remember how we talk about Chinese money yeah. flowing into yeah, the automotive yeah, yeah. industry? Mm-hmm. Lotus mm-hmm. gets to benefit from this too. True. Well, but this is really interesting. I mean, a lot of people have asked what our thoughts are on this. And if, as you can probably imagine, we have many. And the Lotus freak <laughs> that I am, I have many, many more. Super freak, maybe? But possibly. But but here's there's a couple, a couple things that strike me initially. When Proton bought them, I thought, mm-hmm. Who? Right, the I mean, Malaysian company. But, but honestly, that was my first response. It was like, who bought them? <laughs> so this is Geely buying now. I think it's 51%. So they just barely have the controlling shares. Sure, sure. And I have to say, when Geely bought Volvo, I and I know others wondered this too, but I really wondered, okay, what does this mean is going to happen to Volvo? Because our, I, I actually wondered if that was going to mean Volvo was going to go focused on the Chinese market. Hmm. And for lack of a better way to put it, almost more like a Hyundai. 
They were going to be the fairly well-made, decent-looking, hmm. kind of cheap car alternative for mid-sizes. That's what I thought. I was concerned that Geely was going to do that with Volvo, but they haven't. No, Volvo's... Volvo is actually... I, I think Volvo right now is an aspirational car, which I don't think is Volvo has ever Agreed. really been. I think the style and the feel of their cars, they are now an aspirational brand. Agreed. Crowding in on the BMWs and the, and the, the Germans, the Mercedes and Audis of the world. I think they're crowding that market. Yeah. I mean, here we are yeah. in Park City, which, honestly, the Range Rover and the Cayenne are almost the official cars of Park City because it's snooty and they have money here. Right. That's the right. truth. But you see an <laughs> awful lot of Volvo XC90s. I'm seeing around more of, and more. So they yeah. are in, in this market, they're a direct competitor. So seeing what Geely has done with Volvo, which is essentially, as far as I can tell, give them a bunch of cash and say, go make great cars. Do what you do well. That excites me for Lotus. Yes, it does, but referencing a guy named Danny Behar, who used to be in charge of Lotus not that long ago. His big five-car release, yeah, the Red Bull guy, right? Yes. He is now in charge of, or founder of Luxury Automotive Retail, Retail Ares. Uh, I guess he's kind of just back to selling cars, doing something else with cars now. Haven't really researched that yet, but he had come out with, I think at the Paris Motor Show, debuting five Lotus models as his vision mm -hmm. for the future of Lotus mm -hmm. and the brand. Yep. And got everybody excited at the time, and finally Lotus is back. Everybody there worked their tails off yeah. to create yeah, yeah. these prototypes. Mm -hmm. I liked a lot of the styling. I liked the thinking, the direction. They had the opposite problem. They didn't have the money. Yeah. But yeah, now yeah. Lotus does have the money, yeah. apparently, yeah. and can go do this again, and I'm excited. Well, I don't know if you remember. I mean, I'm thrilled. One of those five cars was an Elise replacement, which Lotus has already yes. talked about. Yeah. Another one of those five cars was an Evora replacement. Another one was a new <laughs> Esprit. Right. And then I, I don't remember what the fifth one was, but the fourth one was a – imagine Lotus does a F12. It was a front-engined right. right. kind of long uh, GT car. But what I think is interesting is then after that, as that kind of vision started to fall apart and it was where is this money going <laughs> – Lotus at the time had an Esprit that was like 85, 90% to market. And then, that got, and then that got killed. Yeah. Yeah. That car was so close and it got killed. Yeah. But what I'm excited about this overall, that the best connection I can make in my brain is Lamborghini. Because okay. prior right. to being bought by Audi, Lamborghini was the not Ferrari. And I mean, they were owned crazy. by Chrysler for a time. They were owned well. by a little bit of everybody, but they right. were always struggling. And it was, you know, mm -hmm. are their cars going to work? Where is this part from? You know, the, the famous thing about the Diablo had the same headlights as the 300ZX Nissan. I mean, there was lots of parts stuff going on because they had to get them made somehow. All kinds of quality issues. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. Germans buy them. Volkswagen buys them. Audi is, you know, the parent. Right. And so they think, okay, is that going to kill the brand? But now we're far enough along, it clearly has only made them better because now the cars run, they're reliable, they're maintainable. I mean, they're not cheap by any means. I don't think no. it's like, hey, my cheap Lamborghini <laughs> that runs. No, it, it, it's expensive. It finally runs. No, yeah. no, no. But, I mean, I think, they, I think the quality is worlds better than it was, but the craziness is still there. So yeah. I'm hoping yeah. – this is what I'm hoping for Lotus is that Geely can, like they've done with Volvo, can let them be the best version of them. But imagine this. Imagine if some folks from Volvo, interior <laughs> design, had a conversation with the folks at Lotus. I can't imagine the possibilities. And you're right. To your point about 
Geely letting Volvo be Volvo. And I would imagine, based on their track record, they'll do the exact same thing at Lotus. They'll they'll be the owner and the money and the backer and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. By the way, a seed to plant with you and everybody listening. Mm-hmm. Utah Motorsports Campus, our home track just yes. outside of Salt Lake City to the yes. west, is owned by Geely. Yep. So yep. we could sit here and speculate all day long about something involving Lotus at the track. Ford Performance Racing School currently operates out of this mm-hmm. track. It's mm-hmm. known as Miller for you know the long time. That was how it was originally built, yeah. That was yeah. how it's built, and UMC is the new name. Utah Motor- Motorsports Campus, one mm-hmm. of the finest tracks as far as facilities. It's a great It's over place. 500 acres. It's an unbelievable track and yeah, facility yeah, yeah. and clubhouse and all this stuff. Owned by Geely. And mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. is Lotus going to appear? I mean, is Lotus going to be in our backyard? Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? And you're going to do cartwheels down yes. the hallway. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to buy one of those homes out there near nothing but the racetrack. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's going to be one of those little homes. That so they we need a little home afternoon. in Germany near that racetrack. Frightening. My wife <laughs> will say, okay, I'm going to move over here with your son. Whatever you're doing is, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I just I like the possibilities. There's I a lot like of interesting things here. I all hope, this going on. I hope for great stuff out of this. I yeah. really, really do. But we'll see. Agreed. I, I, you know, they're and they're going to have to make an SUV. You know, they are. Yeah, I think they will. But you know, what is a Lotus SUV going to be like? Mm-hmm. Lotus has contracted their engineering services for years. Mm-hmm. They even did engineering for Isuzu way back yeah, in the yeah, '90s. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think. Yeah. Late '80s, early '90s, something like that. And uh, you'd see engineering by Lotus or handling by Lotus. Handling by Lotus. You yeah. knew yeah, yeah. this was something special. So now they're going to build an entire SUV. Wouldn't that be weird? But but let's be honest. Wow. Alpha, Lamborghini, Porsche. Yeah. You name yeah. the enthusiast history brand, they make money off their SUV. And yeah. you know, I'm very curious to see. I mean, I realize Alpha hasn't released the Stelvio yet, but they clearly are looking at let that to be their moneymaker. Yeah. So it'd yeah. be interesting to see what Lotus does, and everybody else has blazed the trail. So Lotus could certainly do it, and I think it doesn't damage the brand if they do it right. But they've got to have a moneymaker, and Elise's and Evora's aren't it. They're no, not. no, and I hate to say this, but it's like the 911 is to Porsche. Very true. I mean, no, you're right. Absolutely. A 911 isn't a loss leader. No, no, but no, no. Cayennes and Panameras are cranked out the door, and they can't Macans. sell fast yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, fast enough. But Macans now as well. But that pays for the 911s and Absolutely the Caymans of the world Absolutely for us to does. enjoy. Yep. yep. And Lotus is going to kind of have to do the same as thing. As much as as we are obsessed with sports cars, we talked about it with. Mm. Come on, even my car, the FRS. Toyota did not make that car to make money. They're selling, you know, like uh, you've seen the ad for the new one. Which only the new the new eighty six, the Toyota eighty six. I guess ad I haven't. Makes no. me laugh so much because the ad is only eighty six hundred of you will experience this this year. If Toyota can sell eighty six hundred eighty sixes, that will be like two times as many of those cars as they've ever sold in a calendar year. That makes it sound like some unique car. It's somebody in Toyota marketing trying to figure out how do we get these out the door because we're selling 300,000 Corollas and we're selling like 3,500 Scion FRSs. It's like Clarkson's joke for some car way back when that I heard, you know, no sound deadening, you know, no this, no that. You're darn right. It's limited. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> limited yeah. edition. Well, uh, speaking of Chinese money and the influx of Chinese money into the car kingdom. Yeah, 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 and the car world in general, yeah. Did you see this headline about Faraday looking for another billion dollars as their main backer, Leico, is struggling? 
you could think of Liiko as the Netflix of China. They started by our favorite hoodie-wearing billionaire, <laughs> YT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, YT and the, and, the, and the hoodie. It makes him like like all of us. That really just makes him relatable. I, I, I'm so relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so he started this company, and it was all the content in China that was, you know, concerts and sporting events and videos and all this stuff yeah, as a yeah. portal. And then he moved into televisions and electronics and phones mm-hmm. and then decided to build electric cars. Because that's not going to be a cash fire. I mean, it's pretty much just well, a bonfire for his billions. It's pretty soon he's going to be throwing that hoodie on the fire because it's all got to go. <laughs> You're not wrong. What should I do with all this money? The contractors for their Vegas factory that mm-hmm. sits idle, Yeah, apparently they owe a lot of money on that. It's that's a big hole idle. in the ground. They built a hole. They, they dug they, a hole. They dug an expensive hole. And here they are <laughs> still courting people. And they're up to something like 1,400 employees worldwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things where I admire the gumption and mm, sure. going after it and pushing on tech and doing all this stuff. The car's ugly, but <laughs> I like the tech and I like where things are going. Not that we have to continue to sell electric cars based on how fast they are from zero to 60 miles an hour. Let's mm-hmm. sell some other virtues about this car. Sure. Anyway, they're still looking for money here, and I'm just going. If they implode, somehow there's going to be a lot of professional men and women mm-hmm. out of a job. A lot of people with big, big resumes and Huge. wanting big paychecks, and they've got yeah. big history. You're absolutely right. And just flooding the market. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I, I do have concerns about that just from a professional standpoint. Sure, sure. And going, all right, I've talked to friends at GM. Okay. And one in, uh, in the northern um, – uh, sorry, the Southern California studio. Not northern. The Southern California GM yeah, yeah. studio. He said that all of us were approached about three times individually by all these startups. He said, mm. oh, yeah, we've all mm. been approached. Wow. And they're staying right where they are because they know GM's not going anywhere. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. They've got money. They've got products yeah. to sell. Yeah. Faraday can't sell a product. We can't give them our money. Yeah, at the moment, they have zero we've ways you could give them dollars. No yeah. way of giving them our You're money right. because they can't give us anything in return. Yeah. Unless you happen to have a spare billion and I think they will <laughs> yeah. be interested. So give them a call if you have a spare billion rattling around in your bank For account. For all the billionaire listeners that we have that are currently <laughs> relaxing, listening to the podcast, wearing a hoodie. <laughs> relaxing in their hoodies. Send, exactly. You could send a billion to Faraday, <laughs> and they will happily throw that on the tire fire that is their cash <laughs> cash right now. It's just it's shocking the amount of money they're spending. <laughs> well, that's not eco-friendly, burn, burning your money in a tire well, fire. it's not, but it's, it's that's what's happening over cars. there. It'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out because I, I hate to say this. None of the news has been good. No, no. And I keep wondering this, and then they keep moving forward, and I think, all right, well, they're still going. And then I think, I hear this, they're looking for another billion. And people mm, are leaving, and it's worse. just, I mean, it's just, yeah. yikes. It, all, the, all the news seems scary. Yeah. So we'll see. And then, you know, you've got me, but so many players. You've got them, you've got Lucid. Yeah. Neo is, is breaking track records on the Nurburgring. How yes. many players can we get in this world? And I hate to say it, but uh, there's going to be, I mean... <laughs> There's going to be a big culling of these companies. Uh, <laughs> half of them, literally, less than half of them will survive. There's just, just no way. There's just no way. I mean, don't forget karma, the resurgence of karma, which sure. is funded, sure. fully funded for the next four years. And Tesla has accepted money from, I believe, Baidu, mm-hmm. another $600 million there. So everybody, now including Lotus, mm-hmm. I'm just amazed by all this. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, this this touches. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quote this properly, but there was an article I actually read on Jalopnik today 
uh, and I don't know if it was out today, but I was reading on Jalopnik today, and it was talking about how if the electric car industry would standardize itself, it was a theory, it was an opinion article, mm-hmm, if the mm-hmm. electric car industry would standardize itself like the computer PC industry did, everybody has the same plug, everybody has the same board connections, that would be the way to bring costs down and to make people make amazing electric cars. But Mm-hmm. And, and there was debate about it in the article, and I can see the logic. But the big thing that I think everybody misses, and I think that article misses, is yes, but your PC could literally blow up under your desk and nobody's going to get sued or die. The right. problem with standardizing right. a car is ultimately you can't just plug and play and build your own because it won't pass safety. Yeah, There's a reason that yeah. Panos uses a Ford. There's right. a reason that right. Hennessy uses the Lotus Elise, Elise to make the Venom. It's right. because you got to get past all the crash and safety issues as well. I mean, Tesla, with all of their amazing ratings for the cars that have been tested, which is pretty much just the Model S. <laughs> just but, one, but, but really. they're still having the issues with you know the autonomous thing. And, I mean, there have been deaths and that kind of thing related. Yeah. So it's the safety problem compounds the plug-and-play nature of everything that if you come from software and electronics right you have a plug-and-play we'll do some coding we'll solve it mentality once it is a rolling thing that has to protect people you've waded into a quagmire of problems that you never imagined when you built an app or I built a thing online you built essentially (laughs) nothing you didn't build a tangible thing that has to be safe Right. right now you're doing that Welcome to a world of hurt, on top of the fact that we're burning billions to try to build a factory <laughs> in a hole in Nevada. Wow. <laughs> so you're seeing a day of reckoning coming for I all think these people. many, many. Yeah. They'll either be absorbed into the big boys or they'll fold completely. There'll be some that will survive. Tesla's on a path sure. that suggests Absolutely. it will, even though Tesla yeah. still isn't making money. Right, but right. I think by and large, they'll become subsidiaries of somebody bigger. So interesting. The problem with this disease that we talk about, the real problem, is at some point you run out of either money or places to put your cars. Now, if you've solved yeah. the money problem, you <laughs> may still be like, well, honey, what do we park outside? And they have a real issue with that car just getting beat on yeah. by the weather. UVs are you know, definitely a problem. They, well, you're getting all technical about it. I was just talking about just weather and sun no yeah, matter where you are. Exactly right. So if you're in California or at the beach or you have a lot of sun – Absolutely, Covercraft has the products for you. They've got dash mats. They've got car covers like we're talking about. All kinds of stuff. You have turned me into a believer about the sunshade. I have to admit. It keeps the car cooler. Mm -hmm. It protects your instrument panel. It protects from UV damage. All of that stuff. Don't forget to use the word debate when you're checking out at Covercraft.com for free shipping in the U.S. All right. Well, we've got a couple of great debates here. We've got Joe out in Mississippi. I don't think we've ever debated for anybody in Mississippi. Ever. Maybe not. Maybe not. This I'm is going to sure. be fun. Yeah. And we've also got anonymous car guy, anonymous midlife crisis guy yep. who's written to us. Who, who wrote us, <laughs> uh, he wrote us about a four sentence paragraph. His entire car debate was pretty much four sentences. And we both laughed and went, yep, we're doing that one. Yeah, exactly right. So let's just jump right in here. Joe's out in Mississippi. He has found our podcast through the smoking tire and he's working his way backwards through all the episodes, listening while he's at work. Joe, thank you so much for listening. We're happy to have you on board and, and follow along. And you're listening as we get less polished. You're going the wrong direction, Joe. I'd almost <laughs> rather you found us. Now jump to number one and come toward us. Right. You know, listen to us get better at it. You know, but anyway. Right. So he's uh, 
he's got the disease. He's constantly browsing yeah, Craigslist, yeah, yeah. every other site. He sends links to his friends. Welcome to our world. Mm-hmm. Guess this what kind of disease. links Todd sends me? Yeah, mm. it's shocking. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, Todd sent another Lotus. <laughs> Paul doesn't even open them anymore. It's <laughs> just like, I, I know what this is. You pretty much just called me and go, that was nice at least you sent me today. You haven't even looked. <laughs> All right, sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, he is married, 27 years old, lives in central Mississippi, and his current nice, quote-unquote, air quotes, car yes. Is a 2006 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland mm-hmm. with the Hemi, 5.7 liter Hemi, and all-wheel drive, of course, quad track. He loves it, but it's at the point where it's costing him money. 160,000 yeah. miles, and it's starting to nickel and dime it. And he's uh, he's also kept track of his miles per gallon, and it is a stellar <laughs> 11 to 13 miles per gallon. So he's also going ouch about that regard. What you need is an electric vehicle. I mean, yeah, solve just problem solve. Yeah, perfectly solve all the problems. So he's got a job. That gives him a company car. So his boss gives him a 2016 F-150 mm-hmm. that he drives for work now. But that means his wife is stuck with the Jeep. Yep. The yep. nice car. Remember, this is the nice one. All right? Mm-hmm. So they like taking long trips when they get the chance. And he gives us a list of things he'd like to replace it with. Yes. We don't often talk about pickup trucks. No. We've really branched out no. into SUVs because, as we've identified, that is pretty much every automaker on the planet except is, for Ferrari. building them point. and selling them, yeah. And uh, that's that's becoming a thing, or already is. Yeah. And so we're we're looking here. So his list here is it can't be a car. This is kind of intriguing to me. Yeah. Can't be a car. Okay. He's he lives a mile down a dirt road that turns to mud in winter. Yes. So central Mississippi. Yes. Mud. All right. So yeah, I mean we're dealing with it's it's not I don't want a car because I don't want a car. It's I don't want a car because I'm not sure if the car can handle what happens to my road. That's that's actually the reasoning here. He <laughs> even true. says it's at true. the bottom of his email, he's not against getting a car. He's yes, just, yes. could you guys recommend something that could probably handle my road? It comes down entirely to the last mile or first mile of every journey. Might The car might not make it. So that's why right. he has a truck. Right. Okay. You know what you could do? Uh-oh. You build a little Uh-oh. tough shed garage Uh-oh. at the where the road is paved with a nice padlock on it, and you have ATVs in there to do the last mile. You you drive your S two thousand to the little to the little porta garage. There you go. You hop in your eight problem solved, and I've saved wow. you money. There, that, there I, that just this second struck me. I'm solving problems here now. It's the ATV garage. That's what we need. So you come from your house in the ATV, park your ATV, get in your sports car, your Lotus or your S2000. Exactly. Or your car whatever that, that could never be. make it down the road. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, because there are people actually huh. in the mountains. Park City has them. The, the Rockies have them over in, in Colorado. They have them as well. There are people who can't get their car to their house in the winter and will drive their car to their snowmobile and snowmobile the last mile or two to their house. There's there's actually a good number of people locally and elsewhere that do that. That's what gave me the idea. I'm kind of joking and I'm kind of not. I don't actually think that's the answer here, Joe. I really don't. But you could there's there's your way to do a sports car. <laughs> I'm just marveling at the way you've introduced a way for Tough Shed to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> That's all I'm marveling at. I'm, I'm, I'm here to connect dots. That's really what I do. <laughs> okay, continuing on with his preferences, his <laughs> list of things that we need to address here. He, it's got to have space for four people, okay? Roof rack, got to have a roof rack. And he's also needing to tow a very lightweight home-built camper, less than 1,000 pounds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, it's got to get better fuel mileage than the Jeep. That is a low bar. <laughs> it is. It's a low <laughs> it bar. It is, it is. 
And he would like to spend no more than ten grand, but your words of death are that you would like to go a little higher if you had to. That that's your killer right there, yep. because it's me you're listening to. Uh-huh. But he is going to sell the Jeep. Interested in trucks because he's already got a small truck project, eighty four Chevy S ten that he's swapping for an LS motor. You're kidding me? Yeah. That thing's going to pull wheelies down the mud driveway. <laughs> That's really why he's building it. It's, it's going to be just the mud wheelie truck. For wow. Sure. Uh, all right. Yes, but that might not be finished for years. So where are we at? He's got a good list of cars that he's owned in the past. And by the way, mm-hmm. he did own a Honda Element because you and I were talking about an Element for you for a beater car just recently well, in the, our the other reason, discussions. Yeah, that's the behind-the-scenes thing. The reason <laughs> we were talking about it is because I, I do. I know a lot of you ask about the less than $5,000 car, and the big thing that we recommend for that is don't look for a car. Look at your price point and see what yeah. pops up in your right, area. Right. And I will admit, in all of my I have a disease, every now and then I do that. I pull up our local – here it's called KSL, but it's like a Craigslist equivalent in Utah. I pull that up and I put in five grand and I just scroll for three or four pages and just see what's there. <laughs> And hmm, and there's always some terrifying things in there. But every now and then, there's cars where it's like, oh, my gosh. And there was a actually surprisingly good shape Honda Element. And I went, wow, okay. I don't want to – I'm not running out to buy it. I wasn't expecting to find a Phaeton on there. But the point is <laughs> – The day will come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be frightening. But no, so – you have owned some cars, you've owned some trucks, and uh, you're thinking a truck is for you. You've listed three here that are your preferences right now. Honda Ridgeline, which is a nice oddball truck. That is the unappreciated truck. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, agreed. The, because here's the problem. It's well thought out, and so it, it solves some interesting truck, if you will, problems. Some interesting truck thinking is going on there, but it isn't a traditional truck in look, in feel, and so it hasn't done that well. It's very much a niche car. Mm-hmm. Also, the Toyota Tacoma's on your brain, the Chevy Colorado. Those are the ones that you're leaning toward. Um, I have three on my list, and none of them are those. I do like the Ridgeline, though. I, I have to say to you, Joe, I think the Ridgeline is underappreciated as a car. Agreed. I've got actually a friend who worked on the design of that truck at Honda He's yeah, in yeah. Southern California, and that was one of his first cars that he designed. It's a kind of love it or hate it. You kind of it definitely is. really it definitely appeals is. Yep. to you or yep. not. And apparently the reason they changed the design and went with a more traditional truck look was because of that unibody. There was no panel gap between the bed of the truck mm. and the cab. Mm. And so it didn't appear, again with the air quotes, to be a real truck. Sure, sure. It appeared as if it was just some sort of hybrid mix mm-hmm. of something mm-hmm. because there wasn't any brake that tells your eye this is a here's body on chassis, here's yeah. the cab, here's the pickup truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't tell buyers that sure. this was a real truck. Interesting. Even though I've heard owners say this is the most well-built car I've ever owned. Yeah. It's just so well screwed together, and I believe it. I'm yeah. sure they're under underappreciated. One of the things where, I mean, at auto shows we get into everything. We get into the big mm-hmm. trucks. Yeah. By the way, if you would like a lot of USB ports and places to plug things in, get a full size US pickup. <laughs> you can plug in your entire <laughs> office block. There's so many USB plugs in one of those things, and then and then the 12 volts as well. It's not like you have either or. Right. It's not like 12 volt or no no. Here's six USB plugs. By the way, there's four four uh, 12 volts. What do you need? <laughs> What are you plugging it's in? It's for contractors on it's, a job. Site. Seriously, it's amazing. So yeah, but um, so the Ridgeline is interesting. I have two cars and a truck you haven't thought of that I think you should. Ooh, all right. Well, I do like the Honda Ridgeline. I'm gonna leave that on my list. I found 2008 Honda Pilots for like eleven thousand, mm-hmm. and Which they're is, not that high yeah. miles, really. It's the Ridgeline with a back on it. Yeah. yeah, it kind of is, and I I really like those, again, from that same styling era from Honda, 
but still, they're actually as big as a, I think a Yukon. They're as big as the Acadia. They're Acadia, the direct thank you. Thank cross, you. Uh, cross to the Acadia. Yeah. I like those. I think it'd be reliable and you'd like it. I can't leave off the Forerunner, even though it's not mm-hmm. my first choice, but yeah. a Toyota Forerunner from 06 to 08, mm-hmm. that's right in the sweet spot of the price range. But there is a car here that I have a friend who bought one. He was really jonesing for a Land Cruiser, but he settled on this, and these are available. 0506 Lexus GX470. Hmm. This is out there, Joe. This is out there. I get Well, but it's the Lexus Land Cruiser. It is. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Now, they're taller. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they might not appeal mm-hmm. to everybody in terms of styling, but moms just drove these around to soccer practice. They're so lightly <laughs> Introduce used. Introduce it to mud, yeah. They really yeah, yeah. did. That's kind of the life of a Lexus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They drive them around to soccer practice and picking kids up here and there. They're not beating them up. Mm-hmm. And eighty to 100,000-mile GX470s are about twelve grand. Mm-hmm. And it's a mm-hmm. beautiful, yeah. really luxurious, a huge step up. The reliability is there. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think the gas mileage is. Well, but it's not going to be 11, 11 to 13. It's bound to be better than that. I hope, but maybe not because yeah. it's got a monster V8 in it too. It does, but still. Anyway, so that's my, hey, I step like that. it up that's for a, That's like a wild card, but it's cool. Because she'll like driving this Absolutely, car. She'll yeah. set up high. I know she'll probably enjoy that. It'll be good ground clearance. Mm-hmm. That's good. Reliable as heck. Yeah. All those kinds of things. Yeah. And they're 11, 12, and that's why I kind of like that you said a little bit more, but it, I'm using for a genuine purpose, not just to push on the budget. I'm sure. using to to really get you into something you really might that's like. That's cool. Well, when they're and talking Alexis, about yeah, take a long out. road trip yes. or haul something, both of the above are true. Yes, You're and my right. friend loves it. He loves the four-wheel drive capability. He's a real estate agent, mm-hmm. and he drives around, and and um, you know it's a really nice place to be to pick up clients and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great way to kind of do all of the above. I do like that. Uh, I have to say there are two cars that... If you told me I have a mile long muddy road, I would say so. <laughs> One of them is the is the Audi All Road. Yeah, that's great. Actually. Now, I mean, look, I don't know reliability. By the time you get into one that's ten to twelve grand, you're probably going to need to put some money in it. It will probably require some money to keep it running. I'm not sure of your appetite for that, but I would say that that car would do it well. So I'm in, I'm sure. in a mixed sure. place about that car. The other one, though, I have to say it for ten grand, mm-hmm. Saab Nine Two X. Or an old WRX wagon. <laughs> Why not? You're never going to pull your WRX wagon to the end of the paved road and see it muddy and be like, I don't know. You're <laughs> no, just going to right drop a gear and go, here we go. Let's go home. Like, <laughs> you know, it is your ATV. Exactly. You know, and you're talking That's about funny. pulling a 1,000-pound trailer. Okay. Better gas mount. I think you should take a serious look at it. I mean, the Saab 92X for ten grand done. People don't know of it as the WRX that looks nicer. So typically they're cheaper, which is inexplicable, but it's true. Right. You might not be able to find an old WRX, or you might have to find a much older one to get a WRX for your budget. But a 92X Aero with the turbo, uh, yes, you could do that all day long at ten grand. <laughs> so I think that is a great one. That is, I mean, I say that as an owner, but you know, the WRX, come on. You go beat that down the dirt road and or tow something or take a road trip. It does all of the above. True. And the gas true. mileage is going to be low 20s. I mean, the gas mileage is going to be fabulous on that car. Comparatively. With the turbo engine. Yeah. Honestly. It, it's going it, to be I mean, great. mine was running mid to low 20s when I had it, you know, and I obviously Perfect. drove it like I drive it, so I didn't drive it for <laughs> gas mileage. It was you. See, exactly. So there's that. <laughs> and then when you brought up the Honda Ridgeline, I, I thought of an alternative you haven't thought of. Okay. Chevy Avalanche. It is Chevy's 
huh. non-truck, if you will. If, if the Honda Ridgeline is a pickup that's kind of not, the Chevy Avalanche is the same thing. Here's okay. the thing to know about okay. that. Yes, you can find them for your budget. I would recommend getting the 07 and up. That was when they did a body style change. They became much more attractive. The originals were like started in like 01 or 02. So 07 is the one, 07 and up. And I looked. ten to $12,000, you can find them. So that you know, it's it's at the upper end of your budget in your stretch area, but you've had a lot of big American trucks. But the interesting thing about I, I want to bring up the Chevy, uh, the Colorado, and the Tacoma, or a traditional pickup. Those typically don't have a ride on the road that is as nice as the Suburbans of the world. Right, the and Suburbans, isn't that, that, and that's uh, the thing about the Avalanche. Avalanche. The Avalanche is a Suburban underneath. Right. So it has right. a wonderful Suburban road cruiser ride. But yet, the whole back is a bed. You can bang around anywhere in it. Chevy parts, reliable, right. durable, and they are a love it or hate it item, so they have not held on to their value very well. If you're looking at Ridgeline, I think you must look at a Chevy Avalanche. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. Gas mileage won't be great, but it's going to be well, like no. 16, 17. 16, 17 compared to 11, 13. <laughs> Again, is, you know, anything is an better, right? It only goes up from there, yeah. <laughs> Or just get any car that you want and get some speed. So when you're coming yeah. home and you need to get yeah. home on that mile-long road, just need some speed. There is the, the, the tough shed garage and the ATV idea. I'm saying. I'm, st I'm, I'm staying there. I'm floored by this. I'm staying there. It's inspired by the snowmobile people here. It really is. All right. Well, let's jump to anonymous midlife crisis guy. You know who you are, and you're still not identifying yourself. And his emails four <laughs> sentences. That's my other favorite thing about this. There's no long, drawn-out story. <laughs> It's just, here's who I am. Help me. This is great. So he writes in, Paul and Todd, I just turned 45. My father passed away. And by the way, we're sorry for your loss. And I'm also recently divorced with two kids. What car should I buy for a $40,000 budget that screams midlife crisis? <laughs> the only catch is he needs to be able to sell said car really fast without taking a huge hit when it comes to his senses in a year. Sincerely, Midlife Crisis Guy. Okay, so Anonymous Midlife Crisis Guy. So that's A-M-C-G. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm never going to be able to say that again. But anyway, here's the thing. Anonymous, here's the thing. Why wise up? That's my first thought. <laughs> why come to your senses why, at all? Why? I mean, <laughs> it, it, we are here to be your bad influence. Look, oh my you have had a series of very difficult situations. Yes, okay? yes. We're sorry for your loss. We're sorry for the loss of your marriage. You're obviously still a father. There's a lot going on. Yeah. I think it's hysterical that one part of this, you've just embraced it and gone, you know what? <laughs> I've earned a midlife crisis. Let's get a car that goes with it. If you're going to do that, you know what you have to do? Bright teenage car colors. Ooh, Whatever you get, ooh. it's got to be a bright color. <laughs> if you're going to go midlife crisis car, do not get silver or gray. <laughs> I'm looking at yellows and greens and reds. If you're going to go, go, my friend. I have three for him, though. You do? Okay. That are not only do I think they say midlife crisis or teenager car, depending. But the key element here is he wants it to hang on to its value. That is where this gets hard. 40 yeah. grand. Yeah. Because if you want to sell it in a year, you can. I still say to you, why not just have a car, love a car, enjoy it, and be like, I'm just keep driving this car. So it's your midlife crisis car. That's the one thing about the midlife crisis scenario I've never really understood. I, I know the sociology, the psychology as to why it happens. I get it. I get right. it. And that's right. going on right. here as well. Right. But if the result is a guy that's never had a fun car buys a fun car, great. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I don't see where we have a problem. It may have had a weird catalyst. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But if he wants to drive, there, there is that perception that now you're supposed to get over it. Mm-hmm. And I say to you, mm-hmm. why? <laughs> if you find a car you why love, get over it? just keep driving fun sports cars. There was a guy, and we drove 50 years of 911. Yeah. That showed up in a 1971 911 with a race seat. Oh, that's right. He was in his 70s. Oh, that's right. He'd owned the car forever. He was a race instructor. He was an autocross champion. He was in his 70s. It took him, I'm not kidding you, minutes to get into this race seat. He would amble <laughs> I think it up would to the take car. Anybody minutes to get in. Well, but he would amble up to the car, and it was just this very slow progression. But then when he started moving, he could drive. And I kept thinking, and I wrote with him, <laughs> I want to be you when I'm yeah. in my 70s. Yeah, no kidding. So why get over it? Anyway. <laughs> All right, AMCG. <laughs> it here, works, here kind of. Kind of. Kind of. I think you should say bye-bye to $40,000 and hello to $45,000. I think you should spend ah. your age. Ah. <laughs> of course you did. So hello, 45000 And again, with your point, it's going to be hard to find a car that's going to hang onto its value for this price range that I've just cranked up a little bit. Yeah, five grand, but yeah. All right. How about a first-generation Acura NSX? Ooh, I did not go there. That's very good. Hang on to its value. Scream, yes. you got a hot sports car, and what are you yes. doing with that car? Mm-hmm. I Your like kids that. That's can't a very good one. <laughs> that sounds midlife crisis Don't you still have me. two kids? Yes, I do. Can they go with that car? <laughs> no, they can't. The engine is hot, sweetheart. You can't sit back there. Uh, all right, so I'm going NSX. Second one, any Corvette Grand Sport or Z06 of any year that you can find that price that's nice, that's well taken care of, any Corvette. Hmm. But it's got to be the Z06 or a Grand Sport, not just normal. Hmm. Okay, I'm thinking those will hang on to their value. If you buy them on the bottom of their curve. Correct. If you Correct. buy a, a C6 version of those, they'll be 20, 30 grand, and they'll probably go nowhere. That's kind of my thinking. Yeah. And a $40,000, not to mention a $45,000 C6 Grand Sport or Z6? See, I think that's still going to drop. At 40, 45, because knowing maybe, that you okay, can maybe, get them, knowing maybe. you can get them for 20, 20s to 30s, I think the 40, 45 one in a year has lost a good amount of value because the C7 is so good. But I think the ones that are hanging out in the 20s and 30s probably aren't going to move much more in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I do like that, though. I hadn't gone VET or NSX. Those are both very good. <laughs> and here's my third and my final choice. In 1967, 68, or 69 Camaro SS... With the loudest pipes, the nicest condition, and the biggest engine <laughs> that you can find in this yeah. car, I think you need to get a lot of burnouts and Van Halen out of your system. <laughs> and I think it's about time that you had the car to go along with that. So I'm going vintage. I'm going classic. 69 Camaro, baby. They're, those might actually might be too expensive, but I saw a 67 okay. Camaro SS for okay. sale for about 45 grand. You could do okay. this. And yeah, hang on, kids. I'm taking you to school. Daddy's got a new ride. <laughs> yeah. Burnouts in the carpool lane. I love yeah. it. That's awesome. What I like about this is you and I, totally different cars. Really? I really expected overlap. Oh. But totally different cars. No kidding. Okay. That's um, good. Yes. I, would, I did the same thing you did. And that is if the budget is 40 k I don't think 45 is out of the question. But the cars I'm going to list, 35 to 45 you can get these. Okay. I also think all three of the ones I'm going to list are going to go nowhere in a year. Okay, all right. If you buy one right now and you sell it in a year, it's going to go for the exact same value. But I still think, Mr. Anonymous, you buy it and you keep it. I hope you love it. Mr. AMCG. I hope you love it. Here's my three. One of them is blatantly obvious, Lotus Elise. Yeah, yep. 
I was looking at a yellow Lotus Elise 10 years ago, and it was $31,000. An 05 Lotus Elise right now, 10 years later, is around (laughs) $31,000. That's a decade, Mr. Anonymous. So a year, you're going to be fine. Okay, so if you buy an Elise anywhere between 30 and 40 and you don't wreck it, because then, of course, it's a write-off and it's right, a branded title, right. and somebody will still sell that car, but, yeah, clamshell issues and on and on. But if you have an Elise for a year and you sell it, my suspicion is you will get exactly what you paid out of it. Okay. So right. that's one. BMW 1M. Oh, you're right. You get that car that for 45 sit. For a year, it's going to be 45 it That's might it car. might even go up because i feel like mm. as bmw has continued to march kind of away from that car not a long way look the m2's great watch our icon film we actually discussed this at length but there are things that are moment in time things about that 1m that make me suspicious if it's going to actually over time go back up. But a year from Could now, be. goes nowhere. Although, don't you think that's a little too practical for a midlife crisis? I mean, people fit in this car and Not stuff fits in this car. Not if it's orange and sideways. Oh, that's true. If it's, that's it, okay. Don't get the white one. Don't get the black one. Get the Valencia orange one and get it sideways as regularly as possible. <laughs> and everyone will know you are a child. And I will applaud you from afar. So that's going on. And the last one. These have come down a bit from madness, but I still think they're going to hang on to value. Get yourself an 80s 911. So either a late sure. SC or an early Carrera. Think mid-80s 911. Now you're going a little more classic, but in the next year, I don't think those drop. And if you're not buying mm. the super hot, super rare, and you have 35 to 45 in your pockets, you can actually get one yeah. now. Yeah, that could Two, work. three years ago, they were all 60. You can get one for 35, 45, and I honestly think that car is going to go nowhere. If you keep it mm. in decent condition, you drive it, you enjoy it. It does the classic thing. It does the sports car thing. Uh, 911s are still a little inflated, I feel like. It's not like sure. every air-cooled sure. isn't worth real money, but right. as a result, they're not going anywhere. I those like are my three. That. Elise, 1M, 911. Buy one of those. Enjoy it. Be a child. I still say keep it, but if you do get rid of it, I think they hold their value. And unbelievably, they're all different. All yeah. of our choices are all different. Six cars, it's and we incredible. had no overlaps. I am surprised by that as well. Wow. From a four-sentence from a four sentence email. Thank you. <laughs> That's, that, that, that all might, might be a first. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, guys. Well, uh, let us know, as we say. And if you've got your own debate, write to us, TV at Gmail. And if you're listening and you have not rated and reviewed the podcast yet, please do so. Yes. We'd love to hear from you with your own debate. Jeez. I just had a vision from Mr. Anonymous. Oh, you did? Uh-oh. I, I'm going to say this. We did our relationship podcast recently, and a couple of you yes. written in and said you really liked it. Thank you. Uh, that was full of rakes and landmines. But, <laughs> but I want to say one thing to Mr. Anonymous. Okay. I, I hope. Look, divorce is a terrible thing. It's. It, I've never known anyone that got divorced and it wasn't painful. Yeah. Yeah. I still hope that you and uh, you and your ex-wife are amicable. Okay. Because yes. obviously you have kids in the mix and all right. that kind of stuff. Right. I am in no way suggesting, wanting, or hoping that you have any more fights with your ex-wife. Let's hope you're both better off as a result. However, I do have a vision. Of you roll up to the ex-wife's house to pick up or see said kids, and she says, you got that car, and you just, with the nicest, friendliest look on your face, just get to go, yep. Because <laughs> this is where you are in life. It's just, yeah. I did buy that ridiculous car, and I like it. <laughs> so I hope you do.
we talk about turbocharged engines so much and how Everybody's much horsepower you can extract. Porsche's turbocharged well, now. Yeah. We can't avoid it. Exactly. The turbos are turbo, but the whole rest of the lineup is too. Well, the turbos bring their own problems as well, like heat soak, strain on parts, strain on the engine. But the industry standard test that Amsoil Signature Series uses is four times better than their competitors in protection and deposits. That test sounds boring, but they've really exceeded it. Exactly. Well, if you want to get every torque out of that turbo... Go to amsoil.com and look up your car on their lookup table yeah. right there so you know exactly which product to use for your car. We're going to continue to get um, <clears throat> more relationship advice since we're apparently so good at it. Well, but the car the car thing bumps into the relationship thing all the time. Yeah, it does. I mean, it the does. house and the car, this is what, if you have someone in your life and you're debating about money, you, you've heard, okay, every relationship on the planet, that, a psychologist talked about this, but every relationship on the planet fights about essentially sex or money. Those are the basis of most fights. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Your house and your car are the two most expensive things you're going to have a big budget debate about. Sure. I can see that. So yeah. there you go. Oh, I forgot the kids. That's the third one in the, I mean, in the those, three things. Those three things are the things most relationships boil down uh, right. fight boil Cute down. Tax write offs. Yeah. <laughs> not not as much as you'd hope sometimes. <laughs> oh. But anyway, but yeah, that's the thing is that houses and cars are the things you're gonna kind of agree, here's how we're spending a whole lot of money. It's a lot – I think it's a lot easier to debate the house question than it is the car question because mm. your opinions can be so divergent. And why do you want that car? And It doesn't do whatever. So relationships and cars, we can't, we can't separate them at all. Channel manager Mark, who would like to sarcastically thank me for letting us all know that Hyundai had recently hired designers away from Audi – because now every time he sees a Hyundai corporate front grill, he does a double take thinking, hey, and out it. That's a Hyundai. Thanks a lot, Paul. <laughs> I laughed and laughed and laughed. So You're the uh, ambassador of Hyundai <laughs> Kia. And you're the ambassador of good design. You're, you're both of those things. I, I plant my flag. I will die on that hill. I continue to be. And I love that I'm getting everybody thinking about design and why they like certain cars and why mm -hmm. they don't. That's you the point. You get me thinking about it all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the point. I mean, there's so much that goes on into the design of a car from the naming convention to the color and trim, the mm -hmm. materials, the way it's manufactured, where it's manufactured, the budget, and then the guys who design <laughs> it and the people who make it. Yeah. Then yeah. the marketing, we jab at marketing from Tesla and the you know legal department and yeah. on and on and on. It's, it's really amazing to me. That's why I'm so fascinated about cars. They're just so amazing. You like cars. That's weird. Aye, aye, aye. I, I have no idea. That's strange. <laughs> All right. What are some questions that jumped out at you here? Uh, let's see. Um, Cajun Michael wrote in and asked an actual real question. I'm going to try to answer it. <laughs> uh, why do turbos lose less power than naturally aspirated cars at altitude? He's essentially saying, okay, don't all cars have electronic fuel injection right now? Aren't they changing the mixture for altitude? Sure. Yes, but here's the difference, Michael. Here's the thing to think about. A car, in many, many ways, is a breathing machine. Mm -hmm. Think about yes. it in terms of a swimmer or a runner, but a swimmer almost makes more sense because when you swim, you end up holding your breath for periods of time. If you go try to do the same laps at the same speed at 6,000 feet or sea level, you're going to wonder what happened and why you can't pull it off at 6,000 feet because there's physically less air for your body to pull in. And if you're not right. used to it, there's right. less air for your lungs, so your human machine can't work as well. Cars, naturally aspirated cars, are the same thing. Yes, they are adjusting fuel to go with air, but you've got a third less air or whatever, depending on sure. your altitude. You have sure. less air, so it obviously can't throw more fuel at less air. That doesn't work. 
So as it has less air, it has to throw less fuel, so you have less power. A turbo is creating more air mass than there was to begin with. Hmm. So yeah. at, at sea level, a turbo is creating far more air than sea level. At altitude, it's still creating more air than the actual altitude normally has. So it, it is able to, if you will, absorb the power loss of the change in altitude better than a car that, if you'll follow my logic, is only breathing what the altitude gives it. Fantastic. I, excellent job. I'm trying over here. A well breathing done. machine. It's hard, it's hard well to think done. of it those ways, but it is absolutely what it is. I'm looking for a question here about uh, manufacturers and what manufacturers, uh, from a design studio perspective, we would like to see. I'm looking for this question. While you do that, I will, I will go with the funny one from Ian Scott on Facebook. All right. Would you rather, we love these, would you rather <laughs> daily drive a donk with a Corvette engine? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he went oh there. Gosh. He went oh there. Oh, my gosh. Donk with a Corvette engine or a Tesla Model S with a Nissan Leaf engine? Mm. And I do have an answer. Okay. We're talking daily driving. Yeah. The donk is never going to go quickly. It just never is. It's, no. It's never, no. you could put, uh, you know, the new demon engine in it, and it doesn't suddenly become a drag car. It's not capable of that reality. So, and the ride quality will be terrible. Yes, guaranteed. Know. So the Tesla Model S is a great commute car fantastic commute car. If you're daily driving a Tesla Model S, you have autonomous mode. You don't need ludicrous power. You need to be able to move with traffic. The Leaf drivetrain is like 200 pound-feet of torque, which in Tesla land is a joke, but is enough to move that car around. And it's electric motor, which means all torque all the time. I'm taking the Tesla with the Leaf drivetrain. You are, I, huh? I'm, I know I've actually gone logical with that question, but you it made have. me laugh. And then I thought, what's the actual answer? And for me, it's that. You have, huh? I mean, I love the donk with the any crazy. Well, that's just I love we get to idea, laugh about it. But, yeah, you know, it's just after about eight minutes, you're going to be hating everybody and hating yourself and not having very much fun. Straight pipe so. in flames. I mean, you can keep going nuts, but I'm kind of with you. Tesla, that was the 60D, right? That kind of was the kilowatts <laughs> the turned 60D down. The 60D is the leaf drivetrain. You could select it on the touchscreen. What that's car funny. do you want to replicate in this that's Tesla? Funny. Uh, how about a leaf or a bolt or whatever, and that'll give it a similar power. I like right? that. That's good. <laughs> Here's a question I don't think has an answer. I honestly read this and went, um, these things have never been put together. Sorry, have you found yours? Not yet. Keep going. Okay. Uh, Mbrown970 on Instagram wrote this question. He's a few years out for getting a, from getting a new car, but he's just thinking about this category. Follow me. This gets nuts. What are capable autocross and canyon driving cars? Okay, big list. That can also haul at least one or possibly two Great Danes. Oh. I'm I'm actually, I, I'm going to say this because I think it's true. I don't think that sentence, that, that collection of problems has ever been put together. <laughs> I would like to autocross with my Great Danes. I mean, I realize these aren't elements at the same time. No, but, I, I would hope not. But still, I mean, I don't know, put a crash helmet on your dog. I, I've seen Great Danes sitting in the passenger seat like a human. Let's see that happen at autocross. But honestly, these things are not connected. An autocross-capable mm. canyon runner that I can fit my two Great Danes in the back, unless you're strapping them in, in <laughs> actual human seats, I, I, what? How did? What? Um, I'm confused. How about a Z4M coupe, or the shoe? No. How about one of those? Will Great Danes fit in those? No, absolutely not. Have you seen it? Great Danes are, are they're our size, Paul. There was a Great Dane at the last car show, 
and my son walked over to it, and it was as high at its shoulder as he was at his shoulder. Great Dane. He went out, walked over, and looked the Great Dane in the face. Okay? <laughs> Big, droopy-eyed. And here was the crazy thing. It was a young Great Dane, too. It's like, oh, I'm only nine months old. So you're sitting there going, oh, good, you're going to get bigger. Wow. So, yeah, enormous dogs. These These mm. are the dogs you can saddle, okay? So, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they're like a miniature horse, apparently. Not that miniature. I mean, when they're all wow. said and done, they're human-sized. So is there even a car that will do this? I, I have to give that some thought, because I just read it right before we started the podcast, and I thought, I yeah, this is hard. I mean, mm. I think you probably wind up, you probably do, you probably wind up in the hot SUVs of the world. You probably wind up in the X5M or the Macan mm. or I mean not the not the Macan's not big enough. No the Cayenne oh, no. or these guys that genuinely can corner but have good hatch space. I know we could go like hot Audi wagons, but I don't think the hatch is tall enough. That's amazing. I don't think like the hatch of okay, CTS V wagon. I don't think the hatch space is physically tall well, enough crawl for the great in Dane. And just kind of lay down. But a dog doesn't and... want to do that. It wants to be able to stand up, turn around. I mean, look at every dog on the planet. What are they doing? They're in little circles chasing their tail on the back of the wagon. That's what they do. X5M maybe? Yeah, X5M Cayenne S. Wow. These are the things I'm thinking because you've got to have and this is a crazy sentence uh, line of thinking, but you've got to have height to the hatch as well as depth. <laughs> and wagons don't have the height, I don't think. Huh. You need like a bread van that's fast. You do. You know, when we were at the ring last year, yeah, there was a guy going around the ring in a black transit van. <laughs> okay? Front-wheel drive black transit <laughs> that's van. right. He was a painter. We actually heard his story. He was a painter, and he lives near the ring. And when he would be done painting for the day, he would pull all of his paint supplies out. I was going to say, <laughs> step and one. And properly hoon. I mean, like, he wasn't like... You see people trundling around the ring in a van. No, this was, was like after GT3, it. GT3, transit van, GT3, GT3. I mean, he was that guy. All up in and, the mix, though. And his front wheels were like racing slicks on cool wheels. And he would change out his front <laughs> wheels and go hammer the ring at Thedistenfarten and, and do that for two hours and then go back to his life of being a painter. And he was apparently a regular. That's how we heard his story because we pointed it out and laughed at it. And regulars in the area were like, oh, yeah, they'll tell you that guy's story. So yeah, okay. Him. There you go. So great dance will fit in that, and then you have to call that guy and figure out his setup because he is hooning a transit van. Amazing. All right. So I needed to refresh the screen here because questions are still pouring in. But from Duo Rockwell, he says, "If you guys could have full access, which companies' factories, design studios, test tracks, or development centers mm. would you most like to visit?" And the stakes are raised because he has taken Lotus and Porsche off the map. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are out. And I've done some thinking here. I'm going to start with, on the high end, I'm going to go with McLaren and Aston Martin. I had a feeling you'd say McLaren. And I agree with you. I do agree with you. I, I feel like I don't know anything about either of these companies from a production or a a kernel of, here's our design thinking. And Frank Stevenson, as you know, is designer, uh, the head designer for McLaren, thinking about mm -hmm. going back to Mini, apparently, hmm. because the prior designer was out, off at uh, Borgward Cars now in Germany, another startup, and you, so you, Frank this is, is an area. going back. I could tell you who started movies. I can't tell you any of these people, but <laughs> go on. That's why we have each other. So. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm thinking uh, Aston Martin, I hear, is a pretty demanding mm. place to work. Mm. And they've got just such high standards. And well, everything from the Vulcan itself. Yeah. to, you know, nice, let's go cruising sedans. I mean, that's madness over I just, there. I'd like to crawl on the heads of the management mm. and where they're going with both of these companies. And then sort of on the lower end, I'd like to go after Peugeot and Citroën. Sure. PSA cars. Because they're kind of uncharted territory for you and me. Very much so. And the design sensibilities are so different. I'm so intrigued with them. I'd like to know their approach to millennials driving and car sales in the future and what they're doing for their own tech ramp up in mm -hmm. terms of the future and where are they going with all these different cars. Because they produce so many cars that I feel like we as enthusiasts want yeah. a Manual transmission, four-door sedan, or whatever that is. Sure, you know, you sure. know yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. We're looking for these kinds of cars, and they do not sell cars in North America. Alphas come back, Maseratis come back, but still, otherwise, no French cars. Hmm. So I'm intrigued with these guys. That's a good one. Renault or Peugeot, Citroën, either one. I'm I'm intrigued. Just the design. Start there, and then let's go yeah. talk about yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, product planning and where they're going with these cars. And hmm. that kind of That's thing. cool. I like that. I like that. I'm I. Don't have the knowledge to dive into this very far like you do, but I am going to say one that intrigues me when I first hear this, though, is Alfa Romeo. Mm, because there's sure. such a storied brand. I mean, here's a brand, like history-wise, as deep as Ferrari, but financial success and car success-wise, the opposite, if you will. You know, to the point of leaving the U.S. market and having a lot of front-wheel drives that didn't work for a while. You know, so I, so I feel like they are trying very hard to remake themselves. So they have simultaneously the pressure of a storied brand sure. with a brand they're trying to remake as something. I think it'd be really sure. interesting. I mean, we've driven the Julia Quadrifoglio. That yeah. review is coming yeah. yep. with the M3. It's a very, very cool review. We've got that. The Stelvio's out. We like the 4C. So they're trying, they're trying to bring a unique flavor to their cars while remaking a brand that has all this baggage, both positive <laughs> and negative. Yeah. yeah I yeah, think that would be interesting. Wow. Well, I'd, I'd like to see that, too. Hmm. Plus, it's a chance to go to Italy and sure. drink wine. Why and, not drive cars fast? Yeah, yeah. Not in that order, but yeah. Not in that order. Correct, correct. All right. What else? What else? Uh, we've got, uh, let's see. Est Vicentius asked us on IG, uh, he said, which would we pick? Three options here. Certified, pre-owned, or maybe Paul-owned. I don't know. You don't specify. <laughs> CPO Macan S or... CPO GL, GLA 45 AMG or two cars, Fiesta ST and an M235i. Cool. And I think the two car is the right answer because the Fiesta ST mm. is fun and it's fun that is disposable. If you want to throw something dirty, muddy, might dent the car, could be bad for it. You have a Fiesta ST, you just throw it in the back, who cares? Why, because they're $12,000 now? There's that, yeah. So, so, But it's still fun to do that. It's still fun to drive that car when it's empty. But if you need to, you know, don't do this. But if you need to put paint cans in the back, you have a Fiesta, okay? You don't have a Aston Martin. You, right. know, you don't have a Macan right. or a GLA. You have a Fiesta. So you just put stuff in the back of it. It's just It can be a workhorse, usable, unprecious, and still fun. And then the M235i gives you really good rear-wheel drive dynamics, a car that feels like an event that you could track mm. or drive somewhere nice. You've covered all your bases in two cars. I kind of like that. And be sure, a T-shirt here, or a public service announcement, take the paint cans out of your car before you go on the Nürburgring. Yes. 
That's, yes. that's step this one. This is what we've learned tonight from random guy <laughs> in transit van that hoons. <laughs> Remove paint material, go hoon. No, I, I liked your suggestions here because uh, partly that's an upcoming episode for us. The McCann S, yeah. GLA AMG 45. Yeah, two weeks out on TV on Velocity. That'll be right. on there and then on YouTube later. Right. So that you're partly going to have to watch, but I do like the two-car equation here. I'm kind of leaning that way too. Just, uh, But yeah, I don't want to say too much. Just you know, based on our, our review that's forthcoming well, on TV, we but I but I will say this because it's not a spoiler. We liked both the Macan oh, S yeah. and the GLA, yeah, yeah. and it was interesting to drive them back to back and find the things we were surprised with some of the things we discovered about them. But I still think those cars maintain. There's a level of preciousness. Sure, and sure, I can see that. They yeah. your your two car scenario is right tool for the job, which I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, yeah, and both these cars would be a nice dilemma to. Uh, yeah. To have every morning coming out, and you have to decide. Uh, anyway, well, yeah, excellent question. What else on here? Uh, what do you do if you own a new car, but you're upside down on the loan on your current car? So on Twitter, MOT700 is asking. I'm guessing that's because you are. You're upside down. That is an actual real-world question I, right there. I'm yes. kind of guessing this. It's uh, it's a tough one. It kind of depends on what the car is and how much you owe. Mm -hmm. That's really the big thing to keep in mind. If it's a huge delta, then you might have to hang on to it until yeah, yeah. market prices drop and things even out. That's yeah. that's really the best solution so you don't lose money. But if you end up really wanting out of it, people do all the time. They they dump them. They get rid of them. What happens? I am it's not I'm not recommending this, but it has happened more times than I can count, okay? Many people have done it. You there will be if you have a car you want to get that car dealer will happily roll what you still owe of the margin oh, of your current yes. car into the loan of the one you want to get into. So your $30,000 car, you now have a $38,000 loan because you were $8,000, I'm just making up numbers, underwater mm. on your car you traded in or you mm. sold or whatever. I, this is not a good financial decision, <laughs> but sometimes it is just reality. Yeah. If the car... Yeah. If, and, and it could be that you hate it and you and you just want to get something else and you're willing to take the financial hit. You could do that. Or it could be this car is a money pit and I can't get out of it fast enough. Any of those scenarios are possible. There are car dealers out there that will happily figure out that loan for you, but now you are fundamentally paying for two cars and owning one. It's dangerous, and then that new car is depreciating alongside. It's depreciating the even faster compared to the payment. Yeah, you, at some point you've got to climb out of that hole. Yeah, but uh, oh, but here here's what you do. Uh oh, <laughs> sorry. The bad financial ideas, and relationship the advice. Bad, bad ideas are raging. <laughs> you 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 roll that margin onto the BMW 1M that you buy, and since it's not going to go down in value, you can wait mm. out the problem. <laughs> Don't do this, by the way, but this is me being nuts. Let's do a whole podcast on investment cars, yeah. shall we? Frightening. <laughs> Financial advice from us is just a stutter step behind relationship advice. We're, we're, we're masters of it. We're geniuses. <laughs> Anything else strike you before we wrap things up? Boy, we can talk. This yeah, is we fun. can. No, thank you for the, for the questions. It, wait a minute. We're two away from 200. Yes, we are. Remember, episode 200 is uh, going to be next Thursday. That will be the all questions podcast, and none of them will be car questions. We will not be answering car <laughs> questions. We did it at 100. We're doing it again at 200. So we have that coming up. Uh, this weekend on Velocity is our Drift episode. If you haven't seen our Drift episode on YouTube or you want to see the TV version and actually cut for TV really, really well, that's on Velocity Saturday morning. 
we are, I'm going to lose track because we've missed some weeks, but we are, I think, uh, nine weeks into our 13-week season. We're on till mid-June. We still have to come, a couple of reruns of stuff that's happened already if you missed it, but we still have to come. Our GLA McCon and discussion with Paul's Jeep, that's an episode. Yeah, yeah. And we have Alpha Julia Quadrifolio and the M3, and that one is fast and fun. Guys, thank you so much. Oh, hey, Charlie James wrote us on uh, on Facebook here, our friend out in Germany, that M2 driving guy. Charlie, how are you? Waited all this time to, to say hello. Anyway, friend of the show, fan of the show, and I know all of you are too, so thanks for being here. Thanks for watching and for listening, and until next time, have a great weekend. Cheers.